welcome uh, to Church Project. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the elders uh, here. If you're here for the first time, um, we're just excited that you're here with us. I uh, hope you're blessed by um, the Lord this morning. Um, if you're here and you call Church Project your home, I'm excited to see all of you as well. Um, and the reason that it's good to be with one another um, is that it's in God's design that we come together as his people, and we are going to uh, uplift and publicly proclaim uh, who he is in song. We just did that. And then it's good to open up God's word and to um, hear what he would intend for us to glean as his children. And so um, you just look back in history, and as God's people do that in faith, he blesses it. And so I'm excited. It's good to be here with us, with all of you this morning. And um, just a couple housekeeping items uh, before we um, get into the text this morning. Um, on your uh, chairs, uh, there are two different things potentially. Um, one is a response card, a small little she uh, quarter sheet of paper. Um, if you are not connected um, with what is going on in our church, we would ask that you just fill that out. If you want to know what's going on on a weekly basis, um, the things that our church is doing, the, 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 the partnerships that we value and love as a church and what they're doing. I mean, you want to know about those things. Uh, fill that out and drop that in the, 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 on the table in the back in that little black box. Um, two other things with that response card that are important. Uh, at the bottom is, uh, is a couple things of how you could get connected with our church. One of those is serving our church in um, children's ministry. One of those is getting connected into small groups. And so if you have a, a desire for those, go feel free to fill that out, and then on the back of that card, um, maybe most importantly of all, is just um, your way of allowing us as elders to pray for all of you, um, and so fill that out, and if there's things that we can come alongside you and encourage you in, um, and pray for you in, and intercede for you, um, we as an elder team cherish that, and so we want to we want to be about that, um, and then also, um, on that response card, um, there's two things specifically that are coming up next week that you need to be aware about. Um, the first one is baptism. Um, baptism is an outward sign of an inner condition as a church. Um, if you uh, know uh, who Jesus is, if you profess that he is the Lord of your life, and um, as, this, as so many of these songs just said, that has forgiven you for your sins, um, one of the steps of articulating that to the world is through baptism. And so if you have not been baptized and you want to profess your faith to the world, um, Write that on that sheet, and somebody, probably uh, Pastor Aaron, he will connect with you this week and, and kind of walk you through that. What does that look like? What does that mean? Um, kind of get you on, on the same page with where we are as a church. Um, the second thing that's happening next week is Start Lunch. If you are new or relatively new to our body, um, Start Lunch is a great place for you to come, meet um, some of the elders, meet some of the families of the elders, and um, to really know uh, what Church Project has come from. And where it's going. Um, what we have been uh, a part of in the last uh, three to four years of being planted and where we're going as a church. And um, that just allows you to, a, a great opportunity to ask questions of us and, and have a little bit more of a dialogue about what Church Project is and where we're going. And so um, that would be right after church. There's food um, that would be provided for that. So if, if there's like uh, six of you in your family that would be interested uh, of that, I just ask that you write that down so that we can make sure that everybody um, gets enough food right? Nobody goes hungry, you know. So um, just consider those two things um, with those uh, response cards, and again, um, you can put those in the, the back block, uh, black box um, on that table back there. So I'm going to just open us up in prayer. Again, kind of calm my heart. Lord Jesus, you have paid it all. 
all to you we owe, and um, I'm so thankful for um, the worship team and their selection of song this morning, how appropriate it is going to be as it relates to the text that we're going to study. And so, Lord, I pray that you um, help our church to be a church that worships the truth about the forgiveness of sins that we have because of who you are and what you've done in our lives, Lord. I pray um, that you help us to be a people who live that out uh, on, a, on a daily basis, that we would find our identity as being forgiven sinners, loved by our daddy, that we would give that, that that would work its way out into our lives um, with you and with other people. And so, Lord, I pray that um, as we open up your word, that you would sift through my words, things that are untrue, would you blow them away like chaff in the wind? God, that we would be receptive, that our hearts would be uh, receptive to what you would intend for us to hear this morning. We love you. Uh, you are such a great God. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, if you've been with us a little while, you know that we're working our way through the Lord's Prayer. Um, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, you're going to need one. And so there's actually some Bibles um, on the ends of the rows. Just feel free to ask somebody, hey, would you just pass that down to me and get one if you don't have one. Um, that's on page 560 of one of those little Bibles uh, there. Um, there's also some of you um, are looking at me um, with like questions of concern about the fact that I actually passed out an outline. Okay, so sometimes we don't do this. This morning we are. So if, you, if that serves you in any way, if that helps you get a roadmap of where the message is going this morning, I'd, I'd feel free to just ask somebody, hey, pass that down to me. I really want one of those. Reach over the row and do whatever you need to do. Doodle on it like my wife does. That really helps her focus. And so she doodles a little bit. And uh, whatever serves you uh, best this morning. So um, 560 is that page. I'm going to give us a couple seconds to get there. Matthew chapter 6, uh, we're going to spend all of our time focusing specifically on verse 12, that's where we're at in this series, but uh, we're going to back up all the way to verse 7, get some context for where we're going this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty words as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. At Church Project, we want to be a biblical church. And what that specifically means um, in teaching of God's Word on a Sunday morning is that when we go to the text, when we open up God's Word, we desire first and foremost to know what God intends for us to hear. Not necessarily what I want to hear or what I want to preach on, but what God desires for us as His hearers to hear. And... Um, if you think about that, that means that we believe, we affirm that uh, scripture and a specific text only really has one true meaning. Now, it might have thousands, yet millions of implications or applications into your life, but there's really only one true meaning. And if you think about that, you think about if we don't actually have right interpretation, right understanding of a text, then we're not going to have right application of a text. And so you can see that the importance of getting the interpretation 
correct is important because your life will not mirror the things that God desires for your life to mirror if you don't know the things that he wants you to know. And in the world that we're living in today, that is kind of unpopular, that idea. I mean, not just in secular circles, but like it's ever-growing in the presence of the church. Um, people are not always looking for what the greatest author of all time has written, what he has intended for us to hear. Um, but instead, they practice this idea of like this reader response, like what impacted you or what reaction did you as the reader have when you read the text? And that becomes the meaning. Maybe a different way of saying the same thing is, is the question that might be well-intended um, but is actually dangerous if you think about it. It's like, well, what does the text mean to you? Really, the, 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 the right way to answer, ask that question will be, what does the text say? Therefore, what should we do with that meaning? What should that look like in our lives? And um, the reality is, unfortunately, we're not always faithful dividers of God's word, but at Church Project, we desire to grow in it. Each and every day, growing and reading out the meaning of the text, considering the direct context for where these verses are coming from, ask questions about what might lead us to the conclusions that the author intended for us to get, and that's the heart, that we would expose those truths, and by God's grace that we would live in them this morning. And so why in the world do I spend three minutes, four minutes, with an introduction to the message that way this morning? Because I think the reality is, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, and if you look at this, at verse 12 specifically, and you look at the idea of forgiveness, like I could easily come up with a five-point message on the idea of forgiveness as a whole, and the fact that you as people should forgive, and therefore be forgiven, and just call it a day, go home, watch Brockman's game. But if we did that, I feel like I would be unfaithful to what God intends for us to see this morning. And in some ways, I think it's a little more prickly than what we might intend or what we might want to receive. And so um, it might have a little more of a nudge about the idea of forgiveness and its inner workings in our lives as Christians. And I say that, and I don't want us to, to know that off the front and also know that the intention for it to be a little more prickly is for our good. God's I intention in giving this is for our holiness, is for our good, so that we would grow in Christ-likeness on a, on, a, on a day in and day out of our lives. And so um, our culture doesn't embrace things that are uncomfortable for us. They don't, okay? God's word um, has other uh, things in mind at times. And so um, the desire here this morning is that we abandon all of our um, preconceived ideas of what we want it to be and we withhold and we hold firm to what God intends for us to have this morning. And the reality is, as this, uh, this prayer began, like we have a good daddy, do we not? Like we, we, we have a gracious father who, who desires his children to be blessed by being amongst his fellowship with him, right? And so even though it might be hard and even though it's like a little prickly this morning, like let us believe on the onset that God has this for our good, for our blessing in him, okay? So we need to fight for that this morning a little bit as we move into this text. Um, so let's get there. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Do you 
ever find yourself asking the question, I wonder why God wrote that in Scripture? Like, not as like a, hey, God, like, justify this to me. I'm not sure that this is truth. But, like, just out of pure curiosity, like, why did the God of all creation, the possessor of all wisdom, insight, and knowledge, write these things and not other things? Like, wh- why those things? And I'm convinced as we've been studying through this Lord's Prayer and as I've been studying through this this, this, this week that when we consider our prayer life, okay, these, these, this, uh, the Lord's Prayer gives about seven or eight different things, a list of seven or eight different things. And I'm convinced that those things should be the foundation stones for what our prayer life should look like. Okay? Now, not necessarily those exact words, okay, but the principles that they embody, they should show up in our prayer life. They should manifest themselves within our prayers. I mean, think about this. Let's begin all the way back in verse 9. We should acknowledge and profess our personal relationship with our Father in our prayer life. We should acknowledge and profess our reverence for who He is over all things. I mean, that's verse 9. Matthew 6. We should acknowledge and profess his kingship, his authority, his sovereignty over heaven and and earth. That's verse 10. We should acknowledge and profess that he is the possessor of all things that we need each and every day. Verse 11. And here in verse 12, we should acknowledge and profess that we are debtors in need of forgiveness each and every day in our prayer life. I'm convinced that these things, as well as the other things that we're going to talk about in the weeks to come, are needed to live a biblical prayer life. And they're not only needed to lead a biblical prayer life, they're also foundational, it's also foundational to our primary need as human beings. It articulates this verse, verse uh, verse 12 of chapter 6, articulates our greatest need, and that need is forgiveness. Is that what we think about first church when you think about your needs, my needs, the need to be forgiven? Is that the first thing that we think about when we interact with other individuals in our lives who have not experienced that forgiveness is that they need to be forgiven? Or is it other stuff? We go from this place and we get preoccupied with other things and um, slowly the, the things that we need move to things that we want of like possessions or things or acceptance, like we want to be accepted by who God is and, and we want to experience God's love, but is the ultimate need not the need to be forgiven, first and foremost. Now, pause for a second. Don't, don't misunderstand me here, okay? I, I, I'm not trying to downplay God's love or his acceptance for you as his child, Okay, but the reality is the biblical reality, without forgiveness, we aren't acceptable to a holy God. Okay, without love that is expressed in the face of forgiveness, love is something that can't do anything for you or I, who are stuck in sin, alienated from a holy God. The reality is God could love us all day long, but until that love is expressed in the exact face, in the absolutely necessary face of forgiveness... You will not know God's love. You will not experience it. It will be worth nothing to you. 
unless it's first and foremost in forgiveness. The biblical reality is that we all need first and foremost to experience forgiveness from the only being who possesses the right and ability to deem you and I forgivable. Okay, that is the biblical reality that the Bible paints. Okay, that you and I first and foremost need to experience forgiveness from the only being who possesses the right and the ability to deem you and I forgivable. And the reality is you and I aren't without Jesus. We aren't forgivable without Jesus because we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie, Romans 1.25. And it's a, it's a bleak picture. That's why the gospel is called the gospel, which in, uh, in a different translation is the good news. It's not just news, it's good. And the reason that it's good is because of the condition that we have before God without it. Because we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. I mean, think about this for a second. If you want to hang out with God, if you want to have fellowship with God, then you must be, based on this text, of his glory, which means all of who he is, you must also be. And we're not. We've fallen short of that. Because we, um, apart from Jesus, we love the darkness, and we hate the light, John 3, 19. And because of sin, we deserve death and alienation from God, Romans 6, 23. And we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and receive what is due us for what we've done in the body, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. That is why your King Jesus came, to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19, verse 10, Right? Because it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the six. Matthew 9, verse 12. And if you're here this morning and you call yourself a believer of Jesus, you know how sick you were, but more than that, oh, so much more than that, you know that in his name is the forgiveness of sin. Luke 24, verse 47. That's yours. That you who were once counted as a debtor, but no longer. No longer a debtor. Because you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your heart, God made alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Colossians 2, verse 13. As a church, we need to memorize that verse. God made us alive even though we were dead, and he forgave us everything. How did the God of the universe accomplish that? How is he justified in doing it? Well, while we're memorizing Colossians 2.13, let's just memorize Colossians 2.14. It says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You think about that? Our sin carries legal demands. And guess what? Jesus, on your behalf, took care of that. Jesus went to the cross so that our sin would be paid for in full. Jesus paid it all. So that you might experience your greatest need, the forgiveness of sin. So that you might repent and turn to him who has blotted out your sin. Think of that word picture. He's blotted it out, Acts 3.19. Where God blotted out your transgressions for his own sake, and he will not remember them anymore. He will not remember them. 
Isaiah 43, verse 25. Hebrews 8, verse 12. Where Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that we might bring us to God. 1 Peter 3, 18. I mean, just how good is the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ, church? It's so, so good. Let us consider Christ as the greatest fulfiller of our greatest need, forgiveness. Jesus seems to think that we need to be reminded of this in our daily prayer life. That we are the unforgivable who found forgiveness in the only name whose name can allow us to be forgiven, Jesus Christ. And he doesn't simply want to remind us of it. He wants the idea of experiencing biblical forgiveness to take root in our life in deep, deep ways. He wants it to produce two things specifically in this text. The product of experiencing Christ's forgiveness is twofold in this text specifically. And here's where it gets a little prickly. The result of us truly experiencing Christ's forgiveness in our lives, it will produce, point number one, a life that pursues and cherishes fellowship with God. And number two, a life that pursues forgiveness with one another. So point number one, the result of being forgiven is a life that pursues fellowship with God. If you've been forgiven, you will have a life trajectory. There may be valleys, and they may be steep, and they may be ugly, okay? But there, and there may be bumps in the road, but the life trajectory that you have will be pursuing fellowship with God. If you have truly been saved, if you truly experienced his forgiveness, Look at verse, the beginning of verse 12, and forgive us our debts. Some people take this to mean that we are called to ask for forgiveness on a daily basis so that you might be forgiven. Okay, that's an interpretation. And because of that interpretation, you can see the application of that, which is you need to confess sin all the time, every day, to one another and to God so that you can continue to be in his good graces. Okay, the problem with that interpretation and therefore that application is that that interpretation doesn't square, it doesn't align with other texts in God's word about the idea of forgiveness. Specifically, 1 Peter 3.18, we already read this one. Christ suffered once for sin, so the payment is complete. It's done. What did Christ say on the cross before he gave up his spirit? It, say it, say it louder. Amen. It doesn't square with those two ideas. It doesn't square with Romans chapter 5, verse 1, which says, Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That word justified means to be declared righteous, to be freed, to be declared as acquitted. So justification is a result of our forgiveness. Okay, because God the Father has blotted out your sin and he will remember it no more, okay, you have been declared justified in his eyes. Therefore, you don't need anything else to be saved. Nothing, nothing else. No daily prayer, no repetitious words, nothing more than belief 
in, in Jesus' work on your behalf to be justified. Nothing else. So this text can't clearly be asking us for daily forgiveness because we need that to be saved. A more likely interpretation of this text is that if you have been saved, if you have been forgiven, you now have a heart that is predisposed, okay, a heart that is inclined towards living out that forgiveness on a daily basis. And that means because you have been forgiven, you desire, you desire to foster a relationship with God and are broken over the sin that separates your fellowship with Him, okay? Not because it's not paid, not because you're not justified, but because your justification is producing fruit in your life in which you want to live that out. You want people to see it. You want your daddy to see it reflected in you. We should desire for the forgiveness that we have first and foremost experienced to be something that we're cultivating in our lives. Maybe think about it this way. Okay, I'm, I'm my dad's son. Regardless of what I do, he tells me that he will always be my dad. May do a lot of stupid stuff and have done a lot of stupid stuff in life. But he's still my dad. But if I want to have a relationship with my dad that thrives and is rich and deep, then I will pursue activities and things in which it's going to build on that relationship. Okay? So is it with God. Okay? Well, you are justified as a forgiven sinner. If you call upon the name of Jesus, you will be saved. Okay? No doubt. But some of us are, leaving, are living more fulfilled, enriched lives with Jesus than others. Therefore, because you've been forgiven, the result of experiencing true forgiveness from God is a life trajectory. Oh, there's bumps in the road. Come hang out at our home for a, a couple days and you experience some of those bumps. Okay? But th there are bumps in the road. There are valleys in that trajectory, but it is always descending. Ever constantly, maybe slowly at times. But it is ascending towards loving the fellowship and joy that we have with God on a daily basis. Point number two, the result of being forgiven is a life that pursues forgiveness with one another. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So there, there's like this tight line. If you've read scripture, you experience this, okay? There's a tight line that seems to be walked between this relationship of faith and works. I mean, it's just... It's perplexing to me at times. Okay? And, and, and just to illustrate um, uh, how deeply um, difficult this is to understand at times, uh, consider James's words in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 12. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Okay, so, so James is emphasizing works here okay, in, in this passage. But then, well... Who said something in Ephesians? That's right. We just studied Ephesians as a church, right? Chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. What do those verses say? Okay. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So James is like, works is needed. Jesus, uh, Paul is like, no, it's faith alone. And, and these two things can be seen at odds with one another. Can they not? 
But the reality is if you read the totality of James and if you read the totality of Paul in the book of Ephesians and in other letters that he writes, like these two guys could not actually be more united in what they see. Both agree that salvation is by grace through faith alone. That salvation is by grace through faith alone. And that works is not the basis but the necessary result of salvation. I'm going to say that again. Okay, so both Paul and James believe that you, your salvation is by faith and through nothing else. And that works is not the basis, it's not the ground, it's not the foundation for, but the necessary result of salvation. So let's put that into context for what we're talking about this morning in the Lord's Prayer. If you've been forgiven, if you have been saved, then the fruit that will show up in your life, that work, okay, is forgiving one another. It's what's communicated at the very end of this uh, prayer in verses 14 and 15. If you're there, feel free to follow along. Verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not, forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Do you see the prickliness? If we're, we're honest, this should, this should be prickly to us. It's prickly to me. What is, what is Jesus really getting at in this passage? Forgiveness gives way to forgiveness in our life. It's not an optional call, but a, but a necessary litmus test. I mean, consider Jesus' words in Matthew 7, right? He's talking about trees and fruit and all this stuff, and he says, you want to know whether the tree is truly mine? Consider its fruit. No fruit, bad fruit, not mine. Good fruit, that's my tree. That's my tree. You see, as we ask questions around the idea of forgiveness and as we consider the whole counsel of God's word, uh, this isn't simply a call to confess sin, church, and forgive and get forgiveness because you first forgave other people. That's not what this is talking about. It is, it is so much more linked to our identity in the gospel, so much more linked to our identity as Christ followers than that. And if, if you have experienced forgiveness, then your heart's desire is to forgive others and walk in fellowship with God. It's not optional. It's who you are as a new creator. The old is gone. The new has come. Now, here's, here's the wrestle. We all struggle with that, do we not? We all struggle in walking out forgiveness in our lives we all struggle with walking out forgiveness and reminding ourselves of forgiveness in terms of our fellowship with God. So it's important to stop here for a second and address a concern that I, that I feel, that I sense could be popping up and, and simply say that this is not teaching that to be saved means that you don't wrestle with sin any longer. Just because you've been forgiven doesn't mean that we as forgiven people will wrestle with or struggle with forgiving other people. Come hang out with me at work for a day. Man, I struggle with forgiving people that mess stuff up. 
especially when it's like perpetual. You just did it again? Seriously, we just had this conversation two hours ago. Okay, but, it, but this text is teaching that a hard, persistent heart towards one another or an indifference towards the daily relationship with God that Christians are called to have may be evidence that an individual has not experienced the gospel message in their lives. Okay, just like every other sin, if we think about it, okay, this may take a long period of time, years possibly, to wrestle through or strive for forgiveness in a specific situation in which at some point you can claim victory over it. It may take, it may take years. The heart issue that I think this text is getting at is, is there a heart that is inclined towards forgiveness, regardless if it's hard, regardless if it's difficult, and regardless if you don't even understand what that might look like? Is it, is it in the root of who you are? Is there a desire there to foster that? So, we've looked at biblical forgiveness, what it looks like between us and God, that he's blotted out our sin, he will remember it no more. But what does biblical forgiveness look like between you and I? You and your spouse, you and your children, you and your friends co-workers, boss. Man, we need a lot of forgiveness, right? You just start thinking about your interactions with people in, the, in, in your everyday life. Man, I'm in need of being forgiven by people and I'm in need to give forgiveness to people so much. What does biblical forgiveness look like between one another? Thomas Watson, he's a, uh, a Puritan pastor. Uh, he's dead now because he was in the 1600s, but he was... <laughs> He was a Puritan pastor, um, and he wrote this onto page and uh, onto paper, and this was really helpful for me. Um, he said that biblical forgiveness is when we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we do not do our enemies mischief, but wish well to them, grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation for them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to re relieve them. There's like six or seven things here. That's why I printed out an outline. So you don't have to write all these things down. They're on that outline. Okay. Okay. Scriptural support. Okay. Biblical forgiveness strives against all thoughts of revenge. Romans 12, verse 19. Look that up later. It doesn't seek to do the mischief, which I think the definition of mischief is like meddling. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15. We, we wish them well. Luke 6, 28. We grieve at their calamities, Proverbs 24, verse 17. We seek reconcil reconciliation with them, Romans 12, verse 18. We're always willing to come to their relief, Exodus 23, verse 4. And if you think about that list, does that not sit in stark contrast to what our world considers as conflict resolution? Does that not sit in stark contrast if we're honest of like wh what our old nature like desires for us to do? Like forgiveness is, is more than the simple expression of I'm sorry about that. It's more than letting things go. It's more than just giving it time. Time will heal all things. That's wrong. 
Like, if anything, like, time, like, lets things fester, right? And then it just pops and blows up, and it's ugly. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not feeling justified in, in our feeling the way that we do, and so we just don't do anything. That's not forgiveness. But that's what our world, that's what our, that's what our, our flesh, like, says is best for you. Biblical forgiveness for believers between other individuals must strive to see their own forgiveness that they have experienced work its way out into their lives. So if that's biblical forgiveness, um, borrowing it from um, Watson, then uh, what are a couple things that biblical forgiveness is not? This is important. Okay, two things specifically. Biblical forgiveness is not the absence of anger over sin. Okay, to illustrate this. Um, when I consider and think about sin that's taking place in our world, specifically, I don't know why, but specifically as it relates to sin against children, like there is something inside of me that boils at anger and desires for God to make that right. A desire for the righteous judge to come quickly and to deal with this situation, but even in my anger, I need to remember 1 Peter 2, verse 23. 1 Peter 2, verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. As Christians, we can, and I would even argue, are called to hate sin and the effects of sin in this world, and in that perspective, hold up God's power and who he is and who he said that he is and entrust that he's going to deal with that the way that he alone knows how to rightly deal with it. So forgiveness is not the absence of, uh, of anger at sin. Forgiveness is also not the absence of consequences for sin. The easy illustration for this is just the idea of prison. Sending someone to prison doesn't mean that there's a lack of forgiveness there. It simply means that there's not a lack of consequences over sin. The same principle, I believe, can truly be applied to the idea of trust. I believe I can look you in the face and I can say, I wish you well. I pray for you. Like, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. Like, I will help you. Like, I don't trust you with my money. I don't trust you with my safety, and I don't trust you with my kids. Th th those, are, those are different things, okay? So, so biblical forgiveness is those things from Watson, but what they are not is the absence of anger over sin and the absence of consequences over sin. And we need to understand the difference between those two things to walk through this world and to act in accordance with what God desires for us to um, how to act. Watson was helpful for me here. He said it this way. He said, we are not bound to trust an enemy, but we are bound to forgive him. That's helpful. So quickly, as we come to an end, we've seen biblical forgiveness that God has given to us and how forgiveness will produce in our lives continued cherishing of that forgiveness with God and how that heart of forgiveness will work its way out into our interactions with individuals. And I want to close with asking, what's the obstacles for us embracing that and living that out. Why is that hard? I think there's a lot of them. So thinking about it, I feel like I, hopefully I hit two that are 
like at the root of most of the symptoms that flow out over here. I think this is the root cause. There's, there's two of them, I think, or two of them in my life at least. The first obstacle is that like we must overcome believing the, the lie that it's better for you or it's more satisfying for you to stay angry, to stay embittered, hurt, or whichever emotion you might be feeling in replace of seeking reconciliation with one another. This might be simple, but like, have we not all been there for honest? It's like, this, it's like um, uh, Emily sins against me or, or my brother sins against me at work, and I'm just like, I don't want to forgive. I just, I just want to be upset right now. I just want to be angry. And that is believing a lie that that is more satisfying to you than what God has called us towards. We need to kill that. Romans 8, 13, we need to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We need to kill that in ourselves. We need to believe that the God of all universe knows what is better for you, for me. Trust in the character of who God is and what he's inclined and called us towards. There's no joy there for you to just stay bitter. There's, there's no joy there for you. When we get into a place where co with conflict, seek out reconciliation and do it quickly, right? Ephesians chapter 4, we already learned about this. For your joy, for, for the witness that it plays in our world, do it quickly. Don't believe the lie that staying upset is more satisfying than what God's word says. Trust him. Fight to believe in who he is and what he's called us towards, church. The second obstacle, it's a big one for me, so big, is pride. Like oftentimes I find it hard to seek out reconciliation, let alone like give forgiveness to people if I'm not reminding myself of Christ's forgiving work in my own life first and foremost. I might become justified in my feelings thinking that I deserve to be upset, that I've been hurt and I've been disappointed. And like the only thing that allows me to be softened in that place is when I feel justified in being angry is fighting to remind myself of two things. First, all sin is first and foremost against God, not you. All sin is first and foremost against the face of God, not me. And then the second is that I am in need of the greatest amount of forgiveness. And God, through Christ, has found it good to extend it to me. Fight for two things. All sin, first and foremost, is against God, not me. Man, I elevate myself so much. Think about that. Just, just the pride of elevating yourself in that. How could they do that to me? How could they? How dare they do that? We need to have a much humbler approach to our rights and what we deserve in this world. And then we need to replace that with, God, my debt was so large, so significant, so much greater 
We, we, we sin against God more in a day than most people will, serve, uh, will, will sin against you in a lifetime. Do, you, do, we, do we realize that? Do we, do we believe that to be true? And yet the God of all the universe, he's blotted that out. We will remember it no more. He's given us forgiveness in the name of Jesus. I think of Matthew 18 where Jesus is sharing the parable of the unforgiving servant. Maybe you're familiar with this. There's a servant who owes uh, his king something in the realm of like a million dollars, let's say. And the king finds it in his heart to forgive the debt, blots it out. I'm not going to remember that anymore. Go. You're justified in my sight. What does the servant go do? He goes, finds a guy that owes him like something in the neighborhood of like 10 bucks. And uh, he doesn't listen to the desperate plea of the man, and he, and he throws the guy in prison. And what's the response of the king when he hears what his servant has done? Beginning in verse 32, Matthew 18, this is what it says. He says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow servant, even as I have had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do with you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Church, forgiveness towards one another may possibly be the greatest expression of God's love into the dark world that we live in. Think about that. Okay. Forgiveness towards one another may possibly be the greatest expression of God, Christ's love into the dark world that we live in. It truly sets us apart to find it good to forgive those who don't deserve forgiveness. And oh, how we've been forgiven so much. My prayer is that we strive to forgive others with a new spirit of hum humility of what Christ has done for us each and every day. And as I'm sitting in my office downstairs and I'm, I'm thinking about this message, I'm praying, God, like, what would you have for our church? What, what do you want to, to shepherd us in? What do you want to shepherd me in? Like my prayer is that we would be a, a church marked by expressing forgiveness on a daily basis, first and foremost with God in our lives, walking in complete boldness, knowing with full confidence that we have found salvation in the only name who can offer it. That we would find our greatest need in the face of Jesus and that we would shine that out in our marriages, that we would shine that out in our friendships as we raise our kids, as we deal with difficult coworkers or bosses, that we would let them see, experience the love that we have first and foremost experienced, which is forgiveness. Let us show the world how amazing our God is. He who forgives the unforgivable. As we just kind of close, think about that, consider that, I want us to maybe just close our Bibles, take your notes, whatever it is, close those, maybe just sit in a little bit of silence and reflect. One of the chief differences between teaching and preaching is teaching administers uh, not, uh, information. Preaching does that as well, but it also calls people to respond. Good preaching gives knowledge but calls for a response because that's what God's word does. Think about that. 
God's word teaches and then he calls for a response. Some of that response needs to look like proclaiming um, who he is in song. I think we're going to sing that song, Jesus paid it all again. I feel like that's appropriate. Some of that response may just be you sitting in your chair reflecting about how significant God is and how amazing his love is in the face of forgiveness towards you. Maybe that's a name that you have in your own head. I have one right now for me of people that I need to go seek out forgiveness with. Regardless of the kind of response, my encouragement to all of us, myself included, is that we respond. And as we sing this last song, I I just encourage you to take maybe um, a minute and let's reflect. We could stand and we can sing and then um, maybe go ahead and grab your kids from Project Kids and come back. We're just going to kind of worship together as, as as a family of families, as a church body. But, but let us be a people that are marked by being forgiven, our greatest need. And let that be a witness in the world that we live in for God's glory and for our joy.